Good morning, everybody. It's good to be together. Um, I'm going to uh, I'm going to do a part B of the talk that I did last week. I've tried not to do a part two, but every time I look at it, it just becomes a part two. And last week I talked about how Jesus is a friend of sinners. And we were talking about Zacchaeus. You remember that? And as I was, uh, as we were, were, were walking through that story, I just found myself caught up again and again and again in the power and the transformative power of love, of God's love. I don't, I don't know what you think it needs to happen for your life to, to, to be radically shifted and transformed, but I submit to you, you, you spend 10 minutes in the presence of absolute love and your life will never be the same. It's that powerful. And so I want to talk to you about how Jesus is the author of love. The Apostle Paul said, be imitators of God in Ephesians 5. And he said, as dearly loved children, live a life of love. Just as Christ loved us, loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He said, be imitators of God. And how do you do that? You live a life of love. You live a life of love. Now, I'm pretty sure that we could fill libraries with what that looks like. And frankly, that looks different for you than it does for me because I don't live where you live and I don't do what you do. Living a life of love. But once I, I, I know this about love. I, I, I don't know much about love, but I know this about love, that you, you really can only genuinely, authentically love to the degree that you have experienced love. Isn't that crazy? You can only really love to the degree that you've experienced love. If your personal love tank is full, now you have greater capacity to love others. Until, and, and, and what's amazing about this is that, that Jesus came to connect us to absolute love. The whole mission of the gospel was so that you and I could go to the Father and we could download and experience love, profound, life-changing love, acceptance. You can only accept people to the degree that you're secure in your own acceptance. And if your love tank is empty, if your love tank is empty, then, then we become narcissistic. We spend all of our time, all of our energy getting it filled, so I really don't have time for you. And when your love tank gets empty, we be looking for love in all the wrong places. And so Jesus comes and, and he wants to reveal to us the Father. Everything that he did was to reveal to us the Father. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Do you remember when uh, we talked about last week, we were talking about Zacchaeus. So when Jesus decides to take a detour 
through Jericho, it's not a mistake. And when he goes through Jericho and he walks to a sycamore tree, it's not an accident. The fact that there is a short, little, the most notoriously hated man in all of Jericho sitting up in the sycamore tree is not an accident. It is not an accident that he says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house for lunch. And Jesus goes into the house of this hated man and all of his hated friends and they hang out and they recline and they talk. And when Zacchaeus realizes that Jesus is God and that God has chosen him that day, his heart melts. And, and, and he gives back, he promises to give back 400 times what he's stolen. And that's no accident. That's a picture of the Father's love. It's a picture of the Father's love. There is a universal longing in every human heart to connect with love. Which means there's a, 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 a human desire to connect with the Father. Ernest Hemingway tells a story about a man, um, a young man who, who offends his father terribly. He, he, he violates his father's trust. He violates his father's rules. And he runs off to the city of Madrid. And out of his great love for his son, the father takes out an ad in the newspaper in Madrid. And this is what the ad says. The ad says, Paco, that's the name of the son. Please meet me at Hotel Montana. I'll be there at noon on Tuesday. Please. Sign Papa. Oh, then he said this. He said, please, all is forgiven. All is forgiven. Sign Papa. And so Papa goes to Hotel Montana on Tuesday a little bit early, and to his amazement, there are 800 men because Paco is as common a name in Spanish as is John or David. But there are 800 men with a longing to be restored to their father. 800 men went hoping, praying that this was their dad. And Jesus knew that Zacchaeus had the same longing and the same ache in his heart. And he knows that you and I have that same ache in our hearts. If you took the, 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 the love of the best mothers and the, of, of the best fathers that ever lived, if you took all of the goodness and kindness and patience and fidelity and strength and courage and love and you put them all together in one person, that person would still only be a faint shadow of the love of Jesus of the love that sat in Zacchaeus' house and the love that healed and transformed that man. When, we, um, when I lived in Calgary, so for those of you who don't know, 10 years ago we came to Kelowna, my wife and I, and my oldest son. Uh, but when we were in Calgary, we had the opportunity to be part of some, a pretty cool church. 
we had the opportunity to be part of a church that started with 100 people in a curling rink and grew to 3,000 people in like 10 years. Uh, the senior pastor, Tom Morris, uh, who's a friend of mine, he, he's brilliant, he's a great communicator. Um, he himself uh, came to Christ through a 12-step program, through AA. And so he figured that that, that was a, a, a how he came to know Christ. And so he kind of started the church on this foundation, this 12-step foundation. And um, he would get up, and even when the church had 1,000 people, it was really the coolest thing on the planet. You know, he'd get up in front of the church, and, and he'd go, good morning, everybody. My name's Tom, and I'm, a, I'm an addict. And 1,000 people would say, hey, Tom. And he loved that. You know why he loved that? Because cause, cause when he was in the gangs in London, when he was in the streets in London, when he was an addict in London, and, and he was getting in trouble with the police and getting in trouble with drugs, they, they, they made him go to AA as part of his probation. And he's smarter than everybody in AA, and he's sitting there, and he's completely disconnected, completely unhooked from the meeting, going, oh, I hate this, but I, I have to go. What he didn't realize was over time, he'd come to love that part of the meeting. In fact, he began to look forward to it all week, where you'd go around the room, and he would say, hey, everybody, I'm Tom. Good morning, Tom. No judgment. Only grace. Only acceptance. And he said, and, and, and that was the thing that hooked his soul. And that was the thing that, that, that brought him to a place where he opened his heart to Christ. And Tom, he, he was so, in that way, he was, he was rough around the edges for sure. He had two girls. His youngest, Katie, and he wouldn't mind me telling you this because I've spoken in conferences with Tom and he's told this story all over the country. His youngest daughter, Katie, was a, kind of like her dad, and colored outside the lines more than inside the lines. And so she, she, she got a boyfriend, which isn't a problem. The problem is her boyfriend was the head of a pretty, uh, a, a very dangerous Asian gang in Calgary, okay? And so she's hanging around with all the wrong people. And when she was in high school, she would sneak out, and they, they kept the leash as tight as they could keep it, but as you know... Teenagers know how to get off the leash. And uh, she went, she snuck out of the house and went clubbing. Okay, not this kind of clubbing. Kind of, this, kind, <laughs> this kind of clubbing, right? It's different. They're, they're different. And, um, and um, you can tell I'm a Baptist. I don't know how to dance. <laughs> I didn't just get the Holy Spirit. That was my dancing. <laughs> okay, just so you know. And, 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 and she, 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 she goes to this club, and she's with her friends, and they get drinking too much, and she gets into a fight with this other girl. The fight ends up in the parking lot. The girl breaks her beer bottle open and digs the beer bottle into Katie's face. Katie goes to the hospital. Mom and dad meet her at the hospital. Takes dozens of stitches to, 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 to put her back together. And Tom was saying that... This, Finally, she got out of the hospital. Finally, she got the stitches out. And he's driving her back to high school for the first time since all of this happened. 
And um, he said he, he was just overwhelmed with love for his daughter. And he could see and he looked at her and she used makeup to cover the, the scars, but he could still see the scars. And he says his heart just about exploded because I loved her more because of her scars, he said. How is that even possible? And some of you, you've come into this building and your heart has been chewed up. It's like you got scars, it's been bottled, it's been cut, it's been hurt. And you think that maybe you're just somewhat disqualified from the Father. Can I tell you, I don't think God can actually love you more than he already does, but I can tell you that he is drawn to you because of your scars as well. God loves you right now as you are, not as you should be. That is most free. If you can hear that inside, uh, you will finally get to rest. Because who you should be is the way you look right now in church. You all look perfect. I'm pretty sure none of you have sinned today. <laughs> right? Your sin rate is right down. You know what? And, and, and you think that this is, it's okay. He knows what's going on in your head. In fact, he always knows what's going on in your head. One of the greatest breakthroughs I've ever had in my life came uh, when I was in a, I've, if you've been around, you, I've told my story so many times, but just really wrestling through my teens and young adult years with self, you know, low self-esteem and things like that. But, and I always thought that God taught my humor wasn't sanctified enough, okay? Because it's weird, okay? What goes on up here, honestly, you don't want to know. And uh, one, when I was in grade seven, when I was in grade seven, you know what they used to do uh, to, to, to frosh? Do you remember that? Does that term still? They, 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 to to kind of get all the, punish all the grade seven boys that just showed up, they would hang them on the fence by their underwear, Okay? And it was, a rot. It, it was the funniest thing I've ever seen. I was too fat. They couldn't lift me. And so I was free. I'm walking around. <laughs> and, and, and there wasn't a grade eight or grade nine student that could pick me up. And, so, and I'm watching all these kids. And I know it's bullying. It is. But it was funny. Okay? It was really funny, right? And one time, I'm 40 years old, and I'm sitting in a youth ministerial, and these youth pastors are such nerds. And I got a picture of all them hanging from the fence, waiting for their underwear to rip. And, and this is so funny to me in my head that I got tears coming down. And, and, and some guy says, I, I, Penny, for your thoughts, I go, no, no, you know what? I, that's not going to happen. But then... Uh, it was only a few minutes later, and I don't, I'm not pretending I hear the Holy Spirit all the time, but it's so clear the Holy Spirit said to me, you're hilarious. You make me laugh. I thought, seriously? I got stuff you don't even want to see. This, this is nothing. You should see what I can come up with. See, and so God's with you, and he loves you, and he knows what's going on, and he knows how quirky and weird and funny you are. He knows the rating of the thoughts that you have, and he still chooses you. 
Paul says in Ephesians chapter three, he says, and may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep his love really is. You see, the primary message of, the, of, of this whole letter is simply this. When you decide to embrace and receive his love, he pours it into you. He fills you with it. He takes your love and displaces it, makes, makes it pure. He takes his righteousness, pours it into you. He takes his love and he pours it into you. And, and then you go out and you live your life emitting all that he's put in you. Viktor Frankl is a brilliant Jewish philosopher. He survived three years in a Nazi concentration camp. At the end of his life, he said this. He said, a thought transfixed me. And for the first time in my life, I saw a truth as it is said in song by so many poets, proclaimed as the final wisdom by so many thinkers. The truth that love is the ultimate and the highest goal to which man can aspire. And then I grasped the meaning of the greatest secret that human poetry and human thought and human belief have to impart. And these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Paul said in Ephesians 5, he said, for we were once darkness, and now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. The fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. There's a, a professor from a, a very prestigious American university who often lectured and rallied around the need to rebuild Africa. 1994, if you can imagine, 800,000 people are slaughtered within 100 days. I can't, I, I can't even, I don't even know what that, and yet this is simply just one snapshot of the internal unrest in Africa. And while this African professor lives and teaches in the United States, he says, Africa is my home. I belong to Africa. He says, my black skin and my strong accent reveal my home. And Paul's saying the same kind of thing. When the kingdom of God, when you are a child of the kingdom of God, then your color of your skin is goodness and righteousness and the accent with which you speak is truth and love. People should know that you belong to another home. I'm gonna invite the band to come on up. Nobody believes me when I tell them I have a short talk. <laughs> Brendan Manning was a professor at, at um, the University of Ohio. And he talks about, in all of the years that he taught, there was a student that he had by the name of Larry. And he said, um, <laughs> and he said that Larry um, would caught his attention because he was such an ugly child. 
everything about our society's measuring of him, he, 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 he had a, a ter- terrible complexion. He was short, he was obese, he, he was unclean. He hadn't cut his hair in years. His hair went about nine directions at any given time. And by his own admission, Larry, every morning he got up, took a look in the mirror and spit at himself in the mirror to the place where he couldn't even see himself in the reflection of the mirror. So was his own disdain. And in all of his years of teaching, Brendan Manning had never experienced a child, a student, with such a low, such a low self-esteem. But the miracle of Larry Milani's story is what he got one year for Christmas. You see, he went home for Christmas, and, and Larry Milani's father is what you call a lace-curtain Irishman. There are shanty Irishmen, and there are lace-curtain Irishmen. And a lace-curtain Irishman even on the hottest days of the summer, would come to the dinner table with a a suit on, with a starched collar and a swollen tie and and a black suit that's perfectly pressed. And even then, his father always spoke in subdued tones and was always controlled. His hair was always perfectly cut. He had sideburns that didn't even touch the tops of his ears. It was always perfect. And Larry and his... uh, dad they had their usual quarrels and their usual reconciliations and and so began another holiday in the Milani household a few days later Larry said to his father I I need to go back to school early this year and his father suggested well why don't we ride the bus together tomorrow Uh, you can take a transfer when I get off at work and um, you can get off to the airport that way And the next morning, the two of them sat in complete silence, side by side. When the bus stopped, they both got off and they said goodbye and Larry started across the street. And his father headed towards the textile factory that he worked in. There was a large canopy out front and and many of the workers just smoked and hung out there before their shift. And there's a half a dozen men, and, and when they took one look at Larry Milani, they began to hurl insults at him. If my son looked like that, oh my God, I'd lock him in the basement. There's no way I'd let that kid back in my house. And the, uh, the assault went on and on. And Larry just stopped in the middle of the street. And at this moment, the father turned around And he did something he'd never done before. He went up to his son and he puts his arms around his son and he hugged him and he kissed him right on the lips. And he said to his son, if your mother and I live for 200 years, it wouldn't be long enough to thank him for the gift that you are to us, son. It wouldn't be long enough because I'm so proud that you're my son. And Brendan Manning says that it would be difficult. No, he said it would be impossible to explain to you the the transformation in this child in the next semester. It didn't happen right away, but it began to happen. He began to clean up. He took a bath. He's still a hippie, but he lost some weight. He began to meet people. He became the president of a a fraternity before the semester was open for the next year. 
He was the first student in the University of Ohio to graduate with a 4.2 grade point average. He got a girlfriend. And Brandon Manning said that I have never seen a transformation. And he said, so I was convinced I needed to get to know this boy and what had happened. And it, it was the gift that he had received one Christmas where his father accepted him and his father loved him and he knew that he was utterly, absolutely, unconditionally loved. Changed everything. Complete game changer. The story gets even better because Brennan Manning led him to Christ. And for the last 30 years, Larry Milani and his wife have been serving as missionaries in South America. There's a hunger in your soul. There's a hunger in my soul, and it's not for theology. And it's not for institutionalism. And it is not, it, it is for a connection. It is to experience and to taste love, the love of the Father. But you're too busy, aren't you? You're too busy. If you could touch that every single day, and you can, but you're too busy. And you go and you try to find what you're looking for in things that you buy and things, people you know. And, and if I can call you to anything, people, it would be to intentionally and with great discipline make room in your days to drink from his love to thank him for his love. You know what's interesting is that we always find what we're looking for. We always do. And if you're looking for his love, you will find it. If you're looking for judgment, you will find it. I'm going to pray. With all of my heart, I felt someone needed to know that they are loved. Someone in this room needed to know that the Father's not mad at you. He's not offended by your scars. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that your liquid love, your, your, your presence, your tangible presence would fill this place. And Father, for those that came in and their hearts are empty, so empty, Holy Spirit, just especially be present. Fill them today. Remind them, refresh them, renew them in their hearts. And Father, give us discipline and strength to be people who are intentional about fueling and filling our hearts with you on a, on, a, on, on a regular basis, on a daily basis. In Jesus' name. And Father, there are those who might have walked in here and they don't, they're completely out. They don't even know that they could have a relationship with God. And if that's you, I want you to know something. Just open your heart. Invite Christ to say, okay, that sounded pretty cool what he just said. I'll have one of those. And invite him in. Invite him to come and say, you know what? I'm opening myself to your love and your forgiveness and your righteousness. And all these things we say thank you, Father, in Jesus' name.